Turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 11, and we'll continue in our series. Got a title this morning. It's in the form of a question, and that question is, what's your mold? What's your mold? I don't mean the green stuff that grows on food. Don't want to gross you out this morning. Luke 11 beginning in verse 37. And as he spoke, that is Jesus, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat. When the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean. But your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather give alms of such things as you have, then indeed all things are clean to you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. Then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, Teacher, By saying these things, you reproach us also. And he said, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers! For you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in, you hindered. And as he said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. Okay, you may be sitting there saying, man, uh, what does this have to do with me? You got these religious zealots from 2,000 years ago going around with their uh, phylacteries and the tassels on their robes persecuting Jesus. Let me tell you, it has a very strong application to everybody in this room today. First of all, let's clear up something. Don't want you to think that uh, Jesus was unsanitary here. 
You noticed in uh, 37 and 38, this Pharisee marveled that Jesus had not washed before dinner. You know, what's the classic thing with the mom to the kids, right? Have you washed your hands, right? Well, uh, turn back to Mark chapter 7 and you'll understand what that means. It's not that Jesus didn't cleanse his hands before eating. It's that he didn't wash them the way the Pharisees did. This has happened more than once during the ministry of Jesus. Here it is in Mark 7, beginning in verse 1. You with me there? Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. Okay, you got that? And I'm not going to bore you with all the details. I'll just summarize what that means. This Pharisee, when it says he marveled, by the way, it doesn't mean he was excited. He was, he was looking at Jesus with disapproval. Because in their laws that they had made up in the book about this thick, that governed every area of life, there are whole sections, pages, on how to wash your hands before eating. And in the middle of the meal. And after you eat. And in these pages, it specified what kind of water you can use, where you can store it. It can be in stone, but you can't store it in wicker baskets. I don't know how you could anyway, it probably leak through. Um, uh, if it has anything in it besides water, you have to throw it out. Um, depending on what you're going to eat. You may have to wash beforehand, maybe not. You may have to wash in the middle, maybe not. You have to know all of this stuff. And then when it comes to the washing, they go around with water while you're in your place. And they pour the water on your hands. And, the, and their law says, now when you wash your hands, you've got to first hold them up this way. And then the water is poured downward. And in fact, they specified that if it doesn't go down to the wrist, you're not clean. So you've got to be careful now. Then, often there's a second rinsing. Uh, by the way, it's very important that it uh, doesn't flow over the fingertips on the first round because since it's gone over your hands, it's dirty. And you don't want your fingertips to be dirty. You got that? It's okay on the second round. Then the second round of the water, you can hold your hands down and they pour it again. And it's got to start at the wrist and then go over the fingertips. And there are all kind of regulations um, about when and how and, and uh, so on to do this. So a good Pharisee, I mean, they wouldn't even think about it. They know how to do this so well. When they sit down to eat, you just watch them as they go around the table one after another and they'd all do this little ceremony of washing their hands. The point is, when it came to Jesus, not surprisingly, he didn't mess with that, you see. He probably just washed his hands. You got that? And that's not acceptable. He has to wash his hands the way they say he's supposed to wash his hands. Or he's out of it. He's excluded. And so they're looking down their noses at him 
because Jesus didn't wash his hands the way they say you're supposed to wash your hands. And in fact, they didn't just have laws in the book. By the way, the book really hadn't been written yet. It's called the uh, Talmud. It was written centuries after Christ. It was all oral tradition at this point, which made it even worse. Among themselves, these guys knew exactly how you were supposed to dress, how you were supposed to talk, what you were supposed to like and not like, what you were supposed to do and not do, and how you were supposed to do it or not do it. And they prided themselves on that. And anybody that was outside of that, that didn't do and act the way they said, they were losers, sinners. And so Jesus is on the... Can you imagine that? Jesus is on the outside. They have decided what what makes uh, the right kind of person. And Jesus doesn't fit in. God, their creator, comes... And he's an outsider. He came unto his own and what? His own received him not. Isn't that incredible? Now you may be saying, what's that got to do with today? Do we have things called peer groups? You know, that uh, dictate how you're supposed to dress and act and talk. What kind of music you're supposed to like or not like? What's cool and what isn't? Does does that exist? It has ever since the beginning of time. Peer groups. And that's what this is. Now, uh, a lot of people think, oh yeah, that's young people. It's all ages. It's not just young people. It's more prominent maybe sometimes uh, among young people, but it's there everywhere. And that's why I brought along with me, yeah, my Play-Doh. Because to a lot of people, that's what life is all about. To these Pharisees, you know what life was all about? Conforming themselves to whatever a good Pharisee was supposed to be like. Okay? And they, and they couldn't try hard enough, man, to do what they were supposed to do and say what they were supposed to say. There's a wonderful verse in Romans chapter 12. Most of you know it. It says, don't be conformed to this world. You ever heard that? It's a command to Christians. And literally, you've heard the uh, literal uh, version of it. It's literally saying, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And it's a beautiful picture. Okay, here you are. Okay, to start, right? A life. A lot of potential there. And yet, too many people take that life and they see this mold. This um, peer group or pressure. And by the way, you don't have to be a card-carrying peer group member to be susceptible to this. It's just whatever the, whatever's cool right now, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing if I'm going to be cool or not be doing if I, if I'm going to be cool, right? It's funny, by the way, it's an oral tradition. It's never been written down. I remember when I was in high school, I, I could write down, I could fill a book, 
telling you the things when I was 1960s. Can you imagine that? The things you were supposed to wear, and I wore them. And how you wore them, and I wore them that way. And the things you were supposed to do and not do, and the things you were supposed to like and not like. I knew it all. I never read it anywhere. You just knew it. It was oral tradition. Passed down from generation to generation. Of course, the problem is it changes. You know? Today, if you were to try to do what I did in the 60s, you'd be so retro. (laughs) And that's becoming cool, isn't it? To be retro. So, uh, people spend their lives, you know? Here's this mold given to them from the world. And man, they go, oh, yeah, you know, man, I got to fit that mold. And they, and they waste their lives, you know, squeezing themselves into every little nook and cranny. Uh, you know, and they come out and look just like a little running bear. <laughs> right? They look just the same. It's crazy. And that's what these guys were. It's really no different from today. You say, well, this is religious. Well, yeah, it's religious, but God's not in it. You know why God's not in it? We just saw him get kicked out. (laughs) Listen, God has a word for this system. It's the cosmos. He calls it the world. Don't let the world, the cosmos, squeeze you into its mold. He says, don't do that. If you're a believer, why does he command that? Because we're susceptible to it. We want to be accepted. And here's the key. Because the reason for us wanting to fit in is the same as it was then. There are two big things that you gain from fitting in and being accepted by people. Notice I said people, not God. Two things. The first one is, it's so important you feel accepted. You're part of a group. And everybody in that group apparently really likes you. Of course, it's not the real you, you know. It's, it's, the, it's the fake you. It's the you that's put on the act to please everybody else. But there's some security, there's some acceptance. And people want that. They need that. They crave that. And so they'll do any any of these external acts, you know, whatever it takes, man, to be accepted. The other big benefit, notice I use quotes, is that uh, anybody that's not in the group, they're beneath your feet, man. You got somebody you can look down on. Right? They're not cool. And it builds the old ego up. So you get that wonderful acceptance from everybody else. And plus, you got these people out there that aren't part of the group. And you go, oh, man, I'm glad I'm not one of them. You know, that's what the Pharisee said in his prayer. You know, when Jesus told about the Pharisee going up to the temple to pray. Remember what his prayer was to God? God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. Prayer of thanksgiving. You know, I'm so glad I'm like me. It's pride. What's the problem with all of this? The problem with all of this is you're you're wasting your life trying to satisfy a bunch of external things when God looks on the heart. 
It's the heart that's so important. And just as the Pharisees threw that out and reduced life to a bunch of external observances, it's the same today. People, particularly young people, can get caught up in looking and doing and appearing and dressing and doing their hair and I don't know what all. And they ignore God. They ignore the inner person. And even Christians are susceptible to this. Be careful. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, man. Listen, you want conformity? Listen to what God's word says to Christians. He is conforming us, same word, into what? The image of his son. And that's inside. Now that's cool. That is really cool. Okay? Now the problem is, if, if you're a Christian and you're going you're gonna to go along with God's plan and let him do that, you're not going to be able to do this. And people aren't going to accept you. Now, may, there may be some people that will put up with you, but uh, generally speaking, you're going to say goodbye to people that look for you to be like this. But that's okay. You know what else the Bible says? It says, if you're a believer, you are accepted in the beloved one. Is there anything better than that? God accepts you now 100% because you're in his son, Jesus Christ. Can you beat that? There's acceptance. By the way, that's why people do this. They want that acceptance. And, but it doesn't satisfy. They know it, it, it's not where it's at. And they're still hungering for more. Because the only real acceptance to satisfy is the love of God. The fact that He now accepts me. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Okay, so that's what we're looking at here. Go back to Luke 11. So th this Pharisee is all uptight, you see, because... Jesus didn't wash his hands the right way. He's not cool. The Pharisee's cool, but Jesus is not cool. Okay? So, Jesus... Now, it's interesting. We don't know if the Pharisee said anything or if it was just all up here. Either way, it didn't make any difference. Jesus knew what he was thinking. And so he talks to him. And he sets up this theme that's going to be throughout this whole section here. There's the outside, the external, you know, the running bear. And there's the inside. And he's going to say over and over again, you guys have so focused on the outside, you've totally lost the inside part. And that's the important part. So he begins by saying, you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Wow. Pretty strong words, huh? See, Jesus can look inside. I was thinking, he can see inside their hearts. You know, we can't, we can't do that. Imagine, though, with all the multimedia going around nowadays. You know? And all the neurosurgery they can do and stuff. If they could come up with something that they could wire to your brain. And, you know, you'd have a little hat with a little display that hangs down here with a little speaker. And 24 hours a day, it displays visually and audially your, all your thoughts. Don't you think that would be interesting? 
<laughs> I wonder how long we'd stay together. You know? Rick is like that. Really? So-and-so thinks that kind of stuff? You see? But Jesus can do that. And he's saying, look, you, you, you may look cool on the outside, but inside there's a real serious problem. Uh, now, why does he say this in verse 40? Then he says, foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Why does he do that? Why is he bringing up God as the creator? Well, there's two reasons. First of all, he's saying, look, God not only made the inside and the outside, he sees everything. He sees the inside. He sees the outside. He doesn't need a little display. What does it say in Hebrews? All things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Man, isn't that a good verse? All things inside here. He, talk, he says joints and marrow and soul and spirit deep down inside. Naked and exposed to the eyes, listen, of him with whom we have to do. It's describing God. What does that mean? It means I'm going to have to deal with him one of these days. That's what it means. You have to answer for all that inside stuff. Secondly, I think he brings up God as the creator of the outside and the inside. Because he's saying, look, he made you for a purpose. He made you for a reason. And it's not to be a little running bear. It's to know him. You, were, you know what it says several times in the New Testament? First of all, it says Jesus created all things. What does that not include? Nothing. Does that include you? Yeah, that's right. But then it goes on to say, all things are by him and all things are for him. For him. You were made for him, not cookie cutters. You belong to Jesus. Okay, well, after getting them to, at least trying to get them to understand the distinction between the outside and the inside, he says, woe to you Pharisees. We don't use that word so much. I don't know. People used to say, you know, woe is me. You know what that means? Woe. It's grief. It's an expression of grief. He's saying, I'm sorry for you guys. Because you're in trouble. And he's talking about when they're going to answer for what's going on inside, not the, out, uh, the, not the outside stuff, but the inside stuff. And he talks about their minuscule uh, tithing of mint and rue, and then says, you ought to have done justice and the love of God. Why does he pick those two things? What's justice? Justice is being fair to everyone. Do you think peer groups are fair? Uh-uh. When God talks about justice in the Bible, he talks about not looking on the outside when you make a judgment call. You know what peer groups are all about? Looking on the outside and making a judgment call. Forget what's inside. I'm interested on what's outside. 
Jesus says, God's interested in justice. He wants us to deal with the inside. What's real? What's important? And then the love of God. Being cool means looking down on lots of people. The love of God is esteeming other people better than yourself. It's the very opposite. And I like this. Times really haven't changed much. He says, you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. It's cool, you know, when you go to a, a clique, a group of friends who are cool and you're cool. And they greet you and say, how's it going, bro? You know, now the funny thing is Christians have been using that term for centuries. Did you know that? We started it. <laughs> and then the world borrowed it. Bro. Uh, there are now hundreds of expressions that are kind of inside ways of saying that somebody's cool and you're cool and, you know, we're connected. Bro is just one of them. Uh, in fact, there are, are zillions of two and three letter acronyms that are used in texting to refer to a friend. There was one that I didn't even know existed <clears throat> until I was on vacation with my family up in the Redwoods. And uh, I had a telescope. I finally just sold it after not using it for 10 years. But uh, when you have a telescope, you really need to have dark skies if you want to see anything. And so I took it with me one trip up to uh, the Redwoods. And uh, the problem with the Redwoods is there's a lot of trees. They're called Redwoods. And so I needed a place to use this thing. And I uh, drove around and all the time I was there, you know, I kept looking, where's a good place that's close, you know, that should be relatively safe because you've got to go out there in the middle of the night, you know. And uh, I realized that there was this place out in the Eel River, the riverbed, where it's, it's dry, it's all rocky and stuff. During the summer, there's just a, you know, little bit of flow of water and the rest of it's just this big, open, rocky area. And I, it was in Richardson Park and I thought, there's the place. So I took the scope down there, and it's about 2 a.m., pitch black outside, no moon, okay? I got this telescope all set up, and I'm checking things out, and I hear footsteps. And these three guys come walking up with a flashlight. And um, they each had a beer in their hand, and it wasn't their first one. And here I am by myself with an expensive piece of hardware, and three guys that I have no idea what they're up to. And they come right up to me. And, uh, you know, they ask me what I do, and I'm telling them. <clears throat> so I figure, you know, uh, good opportunity to talk about the Lord. So I said, you guys want to see what's, uh, what's up there? And so I started showing them stuff in the telescope. And there was one guy that was clearly kind of, I don't know, like the leader or something of these guys. And uh, he was really interested. The other two guys were kind of like, you know, what are we doing here? And one of them was really getting impatient. I was trying to find a globular cluster at the time. You know, really, it took a little while. And this guy is really getting antsy. And I'll never forget it. The guy that was the leader, he says, hey, cool it. He says, 
Let the homeboy find his stuff. And it was, that was cool. I, found, I realized later, he was saying, I like this guy. It was like calling me bro. That was so cool. Homeboy. I was a homeboy. And they had a blast, man, after that. Greetings. They liked the greetings. Jesus said elsewhere, you like to go and, and have people go, Rabbi, Rabbi. You know, they like that title. With us, it's bro or something else. With them, it was Rabbi. You know, it means you're cool. You're respected. <clears throat> Again, it's just external, though. Friendship is great. Listen, it really is. Okay. But it doesn't compare with being accepted in the beloved one. And having brothers and sisters, by the way, in Christ. Okay, you may wonder, um, verse 44, what does he say this? What are you scribes and Pharisees? You're like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. Well, there was a, a law, of course, in, in Numbers chapter 9. This is in God, God's word. He says, whoever in the open field touches one who was slain by a sword or who has died or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. And so uh, a very a punctilious Jew would be careful that he didn't walk over any graves because he'd be unclean for seven days. And it's kind of inconvenient. And what Jesus is saying is, you guys are like those graves that people don't even know they're there. And they walk over them and all of a sudden they're unclean. He's saying people come in contact with you and they become unclean. Why? Because you're dead inside. You're dead men. Wow. Most cool people are dead. Inside. They may be cool outside, but they don't know God. They're separated from God. What's more important, being cool or knowing God? Being cool and dead or knowing God and alive? I love this. Boy, the poor lawyer probably should have kept his mouth shut. Because he pipes up, you know, hey, you know, by saying these things, you're saying bad stuff against us, too. You know, you should remember who the lawyers are. Remember, we talked about them with the Good Samaritan. The lawyers are right in there with the Pharisees. They're the guys that interpret God's word. They tell, they tell you what it means. And they're the guys that are responsible for that thing that became the Talmud. Okay, all of these little tiny laws like how to wash your hands. Okay. So... Um, his lawyer speak, I think he expected Jesus to say something like, well, I didn't mean you guys. You know, you're okay. I'm just talking about the Pharisees. No, he didn't say that. Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Man, what, what a graphic picture. It's a burdensome thing. You know, to try to live up to a, a code, to, to squeeze yourself into a mold. Did you know that? It really is. It's bondage. You know? 
You're not living the life that God meant you to live. You're trying to please everybody else. It's bondage. It's slavery. Trying to, what, you know why? Because you're doing what other people tell you to do. You're saying what other people tell you to say. You're acting the way other people tell you to act. And that's what the lawyers were doing, writing all this stuff down. And the poor common people, they didn't even know most of it, let alone do it. And it was like this big burden on their backs. Probably the biggest victims, one of the biggest problems, not just in this country, but in every country. But here, <clears throat> you get someone from another culture coming to this country. Another, another uh, you know, Europe or Asia or Africa or something. They come into a high school and they don't know the culture. And they don't fit in. And you know what happens? They get persecuted. They get mocked. They get cut off. They get bullied. You see, uh, the people in the peer group think, oh man, now we got a victim. You know, look how much better we are than there. They're so stupid, they don't even know what to do. And you get uh, people experiencing rejection, fear, depression, and even suicide. Happens all the time. Kids killing themselves because they can't fit in. And it doesn't even matter. That's the point. The stuff that the, that the kids are persecuting them for is all made up. It's artificial. It's not from God. And it changes from week to week. I just learned yesterday, boy, am I ever old-fashioned. Uh, apparently, one of the big things is off-the-shoulder shirts or dresses or something. Is that right? Yeah? You know, you wear it off the shoulders? Yeah? Well, you guys are out of it. I mean, I knew about the untied shoes. Those are kind of out now, aren't they? Is that right? They're still in? They're out. Thanks, Tom. Tom knows. Tom's on the street. He knows. I should have asked you before I did this for my illustrations, Tom. But I know about this. Right? Huh? I see it all the time. Some poor guy's got to reach over and hold something and he doesn't know what to do. I know, I know. Hey, Tom, I'm out of it, okay. I'll tell you, it, it, if I had some of you young people write down what you're supposed to do, say, think, wear, look like, you could fill a book, couldn't you? And it'd be different next year. And different the year after that. Who cares? God doesn't. It's the heart that's important. Not the outside. That's what Jesus was saying earlier. You take care of the inside and the outside will take care of itself. Okay? Now you may end up being not cool, but that's good. Nothing wrong with that. You be cool in God's sight, you see. Okay, uh, and then he says, uh, you guys have thrown away the key here at the end. We're going to come back to the prophets in a minute. 
Verse 52. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in, you hindered. This is serious business. First of all, you know what the key is? It's this. They took the word of God. They ripped it up. They twisted it until you couldn't recognize it anymore. It was useless, you see. They put all of these restrictions and crazy laws, and they replaced the word of God with all this man's opinion stuff. That's serious business. He says, you took it away. From whom? From other people. You said, no, 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 that's not that important. You need to listen to what we have to say. There's no more serious sin in the Bible than getting in the way of another person going to heaven. Do you know that? That's probably the worst thing you could do. It's worse than murder. To interfere with another person coming to God in their relationship with God. You know what Jesus said about that? He said, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, he said, it'd be better for you if somebody tied a millstone around your neck and threw you into the river. That's Jesus talking. He said, it's bad enough you guys didn't enter in into what? Into heaven, into knowledge of God, using this book to come to God. He said, it's bad enough you did that, but it's much worse that you kept other people from coming to God. Be careful when you're out there telling other people what they do, should do and shouldn't do and when it comes to God. There's so much irony here in uh, verses 46 through 51 where he talks about the prophets. He says, you killed the prophets. Your, your fathers killed the prophets. You guys built the, uh, the tombs for them. And now you guys are going to answer for it. You know why the irony? <laughs> here he quoted God. He said, I will send them prophets and apostles and someone they will kill and persecute. What was Jesus? Jesus was a prophet, wasn't he? Was he sent from God? Yeah, that's a prophet. <laughs> you think Jesus is a prophet? You think he declared the word of God? <clears throat> you think he said things people didn't want to hear? <laughs> that's not a qualification for a prophet, but it's what a prophet ends up doing. In fact, he's being a prophet right here. <laughs> he's telling them what they need to hear, whether they want to hear it or not. And he says, you kill them. What did they do to Jesus? They killed him. Praise God. God knew that. And he used it to save our souls. That doesn't undo their guilt. It just shows the greatness of God. So, it'd be so nice, you know, if, if you read this. And there was just one. You know, just one Pharisee or lawyer that came up afterwards and said, Lord, you're really speaking to my heart. I understand what you're saying. It's not the external, it's the internal God's interested in. I need help. But what does it say? As he said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things. You got the picture? It's like they're all talking at once, just throwing questions at him right and left, you know, trying to trap him, trying to trip him up. 
Well, they couldn't do it. Okay? We, you know how I know that? Because when it comes to the trial, at the end of Jesus' life, you know what kind of accusations they end up coming, coming with at him? Yeah, this guy said uh, he'd destroy the temple and build it up in three days. That's it. Or he blasphemed. Well, let's see. He's God, and he claimed to be God. Is that blasphemy? I don't think so. So they couldn't do it. <clears throat> what you see here is what happens in a, in a peer group. They all huddle together, you know. We've been attacked. And so they go, they go after the outsider big time. And they lie in wait, it says. Boy, what a, what a picture. Lying in wait to trap Jesus and finally kill him, which they did. Okay. <clears throat> Application. Don't do this. Okay? That's crazy, man. Look, this, this is the world. That's the, the world. That's, you know who's the God of this world? It's the devil. A nice definition for the system of the world is it's something created by him to keep people happy without God. And it doesn't work. People think they're happy without God because they don't know any better. You're not going to know any better until you come to God. And then once you found him, like Paul says, I'll tell you, anything else I had before, it's like rubbish compared to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. It's so wonderful. So what's your mold? Choose your mold. You got a lot of them to choose from out there. It's funny, you know, because peer groups or, you know, it doesn't have to be a group, just standards or fashions or fads or whatever. You can tell which one people are following just by looking at them. Do you know that? Now, I'm not being biased or anything, but I passed a few people coming to church this morning. I could tell you what they're where they fit in by what they're wearing, you know? They were walk, walking down the street like this. Why do they do that? They wouldn't have done it 10 years ago. They would have had a belt. They want to please, they want to be accepted, you see. Man, when what God had in mind was for them to be accepted in the beloved one. So choose your mold. The world... Or Jesus Christ. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, it just uh, staggers us when we think that you say you're conforming us to the image of your son. What an incredible work. And when we think of what you're starting with, it's even more incredible, Lord. But we thank you that you're in the business of taking sinners like us separated from God, headed for hell, saving our souls, putting us in your Son, and then day to day, making us more and more like him. Lord, help us to see through the lies and the, the fallacies of the world and not let us, it squeeze us into its mold. May we simply yield to your loving touch of conforming us to the image of your Son. We ask it in his precious name. Amen.